in manufacturing, let's say if you're building a car, you have to bring a bunch of components together on a platform. So you have this idea of a car and it has a trim, you have to bring the components together, put it on there. Each one of those components is being worked on by its own team. It kind of is its mini product, right? It has its own iterations. It has its own features that kind of come along and then they come together to make the car. So now let's take it to software now. The software is complex. So the software is humongous. But in the end of the day, the software is a platform. So they have to come together. So there are independent groups working and they're building different capabilities for the software or domains for the software. And these modules have to come together and somebody at the top have to kind of coordinate to make sure this is continuously acting as a system, not independent features that don't talk to each other, right? So they have dependencies coming together. Hello, everybody. Today we have... Uh... Mr. Mazair Adel, who is the co-founder and chief technology officer in Gosius, uh, which is a Southern California-based startup. Welcome, Mazair. Could you please tell us about yourself and your company? Hi, thank you for having me. Uh, yes, so uh, I uh, have a background mostly in information management. And uh, I started my career actually coming out of school studying industrial engineering. I worked a little bit in, in a couple of uh, factories, opening the uh, or supervising the uh, launch of the factory. And then afterwards, I uh, went into information management and focused myself in that area, mostly doing consulting and then little by little going into the corporate world. Uh, where I managed uh, a massive transformation in Experian. And then uh, this opportunity came to start Gosius and uh, I, it resonated uh, based on my experience because I saw that uh, product management for larger complex systems is lacking uh, tools that at a high level helps executives uh, get transparency and make decisions in a rapid way that makes sense for the market and also the team that's working on the uh, on the engineering field. So uh, I, we decided to start this company in 2018. And since then we've been uh, on the mission to help the product managers do so. And currently our focus is manufacturing, but that the, the software is not designed just to service manufacturing. It's, it's also in general for more complex, larger scale systems. Got it. Um, so most of uh, our podcast, we've been uh, interviewing uh, product managers who've been working in the digital world. And it would be quite interesting if uh, we could uh, draw parallels uh, between the physical product management to the digital product management. So could you please uh, run us through how product management is uh, done in the manufacturing space? So product management in the manufacturing space requires longer term planning. The tolerance to risk uh, if the, especially if the product is a little bit larger, is a li little bit less. And the reason for that is it's capital intensive to build the product or coordinate the supply chain of the product and then to uh, coordinate the distribution of the product. To kind of turn that into layman terms, what that means is that if you build something that is a physical product, you need to organize how you're going to actually get it to the customer logistics should be in place and also how you're going to get the raw parts. So you have to kind of work with your suppliers to kind of make sure that these raw material get to you uh, in the in the right time. And you have to manage inventory and everything else that comes in between. 
In software, you have a different advantage because in software, as long as your infrastructure is in place, you do that one time. And once the infrastructure is, is there, all you have to do, you know, I'm trivializing, but you have to just press a button and then your software is deployed and suddenly millions of people have access instantaneously to the services you're rendering. That is simply not the case. Uh, and we can see that when, for example, a new hot product like the, the new Apple iPhone comes and everybody lines up behind the doors trying to get their hands on it, it takes time to do this. Now, if you've made a mistake and your, soft, uh, your hardware is not meeting the market demands, it simply is a flop because you've tied all that capital already, you've already produced the product and it's now too late to, to make dramatic changes to that product. So that's the cha major challenge in releasing um, the hardware. There are parallels though. Software is not as trivial these days as it used to be and we can get to that uh, in a bit, but I, I'll pause here to, to see if that answers your question. Uh, Intrinsically, as you mentioned, that it gets deployed uh, on a press of a button, and if something goes wrong, it just gets rolled back. So I think that's exactly the, uh, beauty of software, digital product management. But I think when it comes to building a car or an iPhone, you can't just say, "Ki oops, uh, uh, we'll get back. Uh, we'll next day delivery on Amazon, and we'll get a new iPhone." Totally, <laughs> so exactly, is very important. Uh, I think the quality and the iterations that it would be needing to get a physical product. And I think, as you rightly mentioned, that the risk uh, involved with uh, getting the product right uh, or product wrong is very high, right? So if you get it wrong, there would be loss of millions of millions of dollars. Exactly. Could you run us through how uh, uh, typically when we uh, do it in software, as we were saying, it's quite easy for us to ideate and then experiment how is this done in the manufacturing world to be honest with you actually it's not that different the only thing is that um you know the the uh in the manufacturing world also they prototype and uh they don't go out all in they kind of build uh, a certain you know sample of the product or what's about to come maybe stripped down and they take it to an audience today in software in complex systems that is very common so from canary releases to other forms uh, of release. You know, to give you an example, um, I think I haven't worked for Facebook, but from the things that I've read, for example, Facebook releases to a subpopulation and makes sure that everything's okay. And if the results are positive, then they spread it across the world. So it's, it's kind of the same uh, thing. Even so, again, in hardware, even to build that prototype, you require longer, sometimes longer cycles and more capital invested to bring everything together. And the prototype is actually very expensive sometimes to, to kind of build and then, you know, even to put it in a, in a smaller setting. Um, and, uh, but there is, there is a caveat. Software has gotten to a point that is now becoming regulated and it, it uh, is also becoming more and more rigid as it's growing. 20, 30 years ago, you can, we could have majority of the software with a very small team build out and then it just grew. And this, the software did one thing and one thing really well. And then you, you saw the, I guess, mushrooming of these kind of software that you know, small teams could build. Today, it's becoming more and more common for large, sophisticated software 
to, to kind of dominate the market. So it's very hard to put a small team together and manage this massive software from AWS, you know, automations to uh, Facebook, to uh, Google. These are not software that you can now have small teams uh, building them. Coordinating across these teams is extremely difficult. And because you have so much audience, same thing. If you make a mistake in the software and the mistake is worldwide, that can uh, literally tarnish your brand overnight. So now the risk tolerance of large software companies are starting to wane down. So they're, they're not willing to, to risk that much. And you could see the evidence a little bit on uh, Facebook also. I give the Facebook example again. That before Facebook's model was, if you break something, break it, just move fast. But now they're like, well, maybe you shouldn't just kind of move fast and break everything. Maybe you should have a checkpoint. Uh, so things are becoming more complex and more systemic and it requires an oversight to some extent. And you can see the signs of it in software coming in also. Got it. Um, so from a um, Gaussian point of view, uh, where do you fit into this uh, whole ecosystem? So from a Gaussian perspective, we, uh, the way we see, we see it uh, in the uh, lean production. So uh, let's say in the case of software, uh, in the agile practices, you have two week sprints and maybe you have uh, a less than a year horizon on, on executing um, and you have multiple teams working on this. The question then becomes, how do you, uh, if you have a very complex software and you have teams working on different features and each are working on their own sprints, then how do you roll this all up and make sure that you have oversight on what's executing, not to manage the project, you're not uh, tracking the progress. What you're tracking is the value you're bringing to the market at any given time. So you as a product manager, let's in this case, call them portfolio managers. The portfolio managers are interested in, okay, there are X number of features coming out next year. Does that help us grow the business or is it going to hurt the business? Is it going to help the customers or is it going to fall short of its uh, mandate to, to get the customers where they want to be? That dashboard that is a high level and gives a view at, uh, on the top at the product managers to see if collectively everything's going in the right direction or not. That's a tool that's really missing. There's not a clear practice. There is in software, there's a methodology that's being introduced called SAFE that helps, gives, gives some guidelines. It's called Scaled Agile Framework, but the tools are still being developed. It's not still clear. The roles are still being shaped. Uh, and in manufacturing, I think it's even less. Uh, in manufacturing, things are still too complicated and it requires a lot of financial analysis and it's very costly to continuously revisit your roadmap and strategy and kind of make sure that your, your products are in, in line with business and market, uh, market needs. Uh, so, uh, so correct me um, if I'm wrong. So what I understood is that you're bring, bringing in visibility uh, across uh, uh, sort of different teams that are actually working towards building one product. Uh, exactly. Is that, 
Okay, got it. So can you can you maybe give give an example on uh, how how does so how you, it used to happen and what is the gap that you uh, identified? Say, okay, hey, uh, visibility is a challenge, and how does this sort of look like in a real world uh, physical? Uh, so if maybe you can take an example uh, on sure. your companies, they are building a product, and how does uh, how they were doing it, and when you sort of when they started using Gaussian. Uh, they actually saw uh, the value. Yep. So um, I'll give you the the hardware example, but then I can give you the parallels, or I think you can draw parallels in the in the software. So if you're building, let's say, a laptop or a car, the laptop needs a platform. The platform, for example, can be the motherboard and the the casing that you have. Um, then on this platform, you start bringing components. You have to bring the OS, the chip, the motherboard, the main chip, let's say Intel chip. You need uh, the screen and the screen size to come together. And you have considerations for the market. So for example, you have a target to reduce the weight of the laptop and to increase the uh, recharging of the battery or the lifespan of the battery for a charge. So those are some of your long-term targets. Usually in manufacturing, different teams on, or work on different parts of the laptop. One team is focused only on screens. The other team is focused only on compute power. So you have these independent teams coming together. In our case, if the platform is, let's say, a 15-inch uh, size screen laptop, then that's your main product. And you have to keep track of how these... Um, components come together and when they're coming with what features to be incorporated in the platform so you have the final laptop going out the door. Now, imagine you don't have just one laptop. You have 10 kinds of laptop with different sizes. Then when that happens, you don't want to go and say, okay, every laptop would have its own chip team, its own screen team, its own, no, you want to use this, you, you want to reuse as much uh, of these components as you can to control costs, but you do want differentiation. You don't want all your products to look the same. So there's a balance. And that's what our, our focus is, is to look at the high uh, from a higher level down and say, wait a minute, everybody has a chip team. Why can't we bring all these chip teams to one team and then let that chip team cater to multiple um, laptops? But this laptop's differentiation is on its weight. So we will give them their own, for example, casing team. So each one can build their own case, but they're using the same chip. Now, if the chip is late, now you have ripple effects across these, uh, and you have to uh, incorporate the cost into all these swim lanes. So how do you manage that? Can you get a visual when the chip team comes and says, oh, sorry, we won't release this month. We're gonna release in two months. What does that do with, your iPhone, iPad, you know, all these different things that you're planning to ship, how is that gonna have a ripple effect? And that's when the product manager has to step in, work with the project manager to, uh, or the scrum master to realign priorities of features coming in to see if they can pull the release sooner or later, or would they live with that release uh, and accept it, the, the delay, right? So those are some examples and I can, think that you can draw the parallels on on software also i think we can we can look at amazon right so for, for example amazon does multiple businesses and uh, there is one common uh, payments team and uh, 
that that's the that's a so platform products are a very good example when it comes to components uh, exactly uh, in drawing battles right so if if, if the pms team comes and says you oops we will take three more months to get ready so what whatever work other teams would have done if you can't process the transactions through i think it's all going to break so that's an that's a very good example so you know also if you think about it every service amazon or microsoft azure gives mm-hmm. out they have to connect to their payment system. So the payment system is a shared system, but they have to build their payment. If they need a change to that payment system, then they have to coordinate. And if the payment system is late, it has a ripple effect on services that are relying on that specific capability coming out. Okay. I think more parallels are say, a logistics, plat- logistics platform of a DoorDash, right? So they, they deliver food, they deliver groceries. So uh, similarly, you can think about uh, delivery uh, so the driver platform right the driver partner platform of uber uh, so it's it's sort of it's the same for say uh, uh, the uber cab services or uber uh, connect or other uber services right so totally it's the same platform uh, so interestingly uh, uh, one more thing uh, so you mentioned so now uh, when we think of a laptop right so uh, there would be one product manager for uh, building one laptop right but when we talk about a chip chip actually itself consists of multiple components right so do you think that uh, so that's also uh, the uh, user or the uh, product manager who is responsible for building the chip is your uh, can can sort of use your platform correct so what happens is that's exactly what uh, what the platform is about is to bring these uh, collaborations together. As you can see, it's kind of a hierarchy, right? So you're, you're, the person who's in charge of building laptops is, let's say, the end. That's the person who's actually talking to the customer and realizing the needs of the customer. And the chip uh, manufacturer, as a result, is getting how people are uh, uh, interacting with these platforms, and they're designing the next generation of the chip based on what they think is is the new capabilities they need, uh, whether it's faster compute or less power uh, consumption and things like that. So it's it's the coordination between the two and the chip manufacturer deciding based on consensus, all these product managers are asking me to reduce my power consumption. So I'm gonna make that a priority. So because the chip manufacturer doesn't necessarily always sit with the end customer all the time, they're talking to these outlets, let's say the, you know, the, plat- uh, the laptop manufacturer. So our platform is, is a me- mechanism to put all of them on their stream lanes, but connect them together and then have a way to track them and also to prioritize. I, I can draw parallels about uh, this when I was working in one of the telecom companies here. Uh, we used to get a requirement on performance and then we had to break it down to uh, what each system in the software, uh, how they contribute to the performance improvement. Um, and then uh, on the hardware side, they also had to look at what capabilities they need to have. Um, so I think that communication back in those days, I'm talking about probably 10 years back, uh, it used to happen in spreadsheets and emails and typically we used to um, find issues uh, somewhere as we go closer to the integration. You're, you're just explaining a classical case where we where we find this happening in many, many of our clients and, and prospects. This this scenario that the use case that you mentioned is is a classic one that either people move around 
And the spreadsheets are on people's laptops or people open spreadsheets. They don't understand what these spreadsheets say because every spreadsheet's different and you have to, and these are not simple. You have to kind of go through them and it's not, you know, it's something that that individual thought about and they have to kind of bring the individual with the spreadsheet to explain what's going on. So it's, it's very hard to, to collaborate and then keep that collaboration because these are long-term. It's not one time you write the spreadsheet, make a decision and close it down and go execute. As it's executing, market changes. These are long-term initiatives. So you have to make adjustments and you have to keep bringing those spreadsheets out and then correcting and then keep going, right? So, and that continuity uh, requires a little bit more, more rigor. Uh, one uh, challenge that I have seen whenever uh, we uh, introduce new tools is uh, probably there is a resistance initially and then people adopt it. Uh, but then at some point of time, people go back to their older methods. Is that something that uh, you have considered? Yeah, that that's a, I guess you can call it, you know, in, in, you know, I come from information management background. That's a classic scenario of what happens in, in organizations. I think, uh, there's there's two things. It's it's a classic change management. You you have to first of all show quick wins. Second, you have to show the future of individuals um, on how they can play a critical role in the future, so they don't feel like they're becoming irrelevant, or you know now their job is going to be in danger, or it's going to shift in a way that they are not happy. They're they're going to lose some control or capabilities. And then the last thing is that you have to have customers and these are internal customers. So for example, if the manager, the general manager, the executive is, is uh, not uh, ordering it, but is interested, is, is literally going and saying, hey, we need this, it's going to help us, this is going to push and they show the results to the people who are players, I think you're going to push the implementation forward. But if you don't have those ingredients in place, then yes, it's very hard to take what you're comfortable with and you've been working with for years and then shifting it to, to the next. The first implementation is never perfect of anything. The question is, will the people come on this journey and be excited to, to see this change and they see their future in it? Or do they see this as a threat and they say, oh, I'm not comfortable. I don't know what this is going to do to us. And then... The, the most important part is if it's a vendor or a team that's exercising or implementing that change, will they come along? Will they go at speed and make the changes to continuously optimize and improve the, the software to, to make sure that, you know, if these people see the software has limitations or the system has limitations, that they continuously bring in new features to improve it and close those gaps? Or are they going to be tardy, right? So it's, it's important that as the company is making the changes for the software uh, or the vendor to come in and listen and, and kind of make the changes to keep the, uh, the momentum going on the implementation. Good. Uh, since we are talking about a couple of vendors and uh, probably you know, all of them are globally distributed and things have to come together to make a product. Uh, with these uh, supply chain issues that's happening now, uh, do you see challenges? Actually, it, uh, it doubles down on our case. Uh, and uh, the reason for that is if you look at some of the strategies of, of these complex products, they set these strategies minimum one year and it can go up to 10 years of, of uh, mapping a, a strategy for the product. 
So I imagine something that started six years ago, I don't think that at that time they were planning for a pandemic and supply chain uh, disruptions and globalization falling apart. So um, now they're facing all this. They can't keep doing what they were doing and not changing their strategy and expecting the, everything to go fine. So they need to make these changes. Now, I'm going to just go back to your example. They have to pull up uh, all those spreadsheets and PowerPoint. Why did we make this decision? Now, what are we going to do? All these things are changed. What are the criteria now? They have to reset everything. And I think uh, with a tool like this, they can make decisions more, I guess, uh, prudent and faster. And they can immediately see where things don't make sense. And they can trace it back to how, why did we make this decision three years ago again? And what, what were the criteria that we set? As, are those still holding? And if not, which one isn't? And what changes do we, as opposed to overhauling everything suddenly because you're panicking and you realize this, you know, the, the supply chain or the world economy is not going the way you expected. So it also helps them to do a what if. Exactly. It's a dashboard that kind of shows you immediately the dependencies, whether the financials are still standing, whether you're, uh, you can capture uh, metrics and objectives and kind of projections on those so, so you can see if it's still holding those uh, and you can send them back for reevaluation. I think a very, very basic example would be, uh, say, a delay uh, of a specific component by two weeks uh, is going to impact what product lines and by how much and we'll be able to exactly. get timelines, etc. So I think, exactly. I think, and before, if, for example, uh, so, so I, I also actually, you mentioned, right, so, so COVID actually uh, forced people to think on uh, if there are disruptions, how to sort of manage them effectively and efficiently. So. Uh, maybe we can take a step back and maybe you can throw some light on how has product management in general evolved in manufacturing right? uh, so how it used to be 20 years ago and how it is today and uh, maybe how it would be 20 years uh, down the line you know in most of the complex manufacturing firms the product management is either a function of engineering or it's an extension of marketing and general management in other words the function of product manager, the way it started evolving 20 years ago, starting 20 years ago in software business is not the same in most manufacturing. It's either the engineering working on a research and they're, you know, coming up with new capabilities or it's the marketing that's constantly going in and they're fine tuning the product saying that, well, the, uh, the, um, the market wants this or the competition is doing that. So let's make sure we kind of catch up. Uh, so it's, it's an either, or there is no, uh, there is no empowerment that we've seen at the level of software where product managers coming and uh, playing a center stage and in pushing and, you know, creating new research or new features uh, and uh, having a little bit more say, even in software, it's, it's a bit novel. In other words, mostly in the past, it was the general manager or the, you know, the head of the company that, that pushed and they would get consensus from engineering or, or marketing to, on the next things to build. And you can still see that the product managers are, are hubs to facilitate that. Uh, so in manufacturing, we're, what another thing we're hoping to do is to elevate the, the product management function to have a more center stage uh, 
because we think that all this information being in the hands of one or two people that are sitting as general managers is a bit risky. Uh, not that they shouldn't make those, those decisions, but I think they should have more information and they have to have uh, specialized product managers that can that understand the market to give them either very good advice or if the, if the team is mature enough to let them just roll with it. And that way you can speed up the, the exercise in the, in the factory or pushing the product forward and then coordinating with engineering. So you, you make the engineering uh, function more transparent to the rest of the organization. So you know what, what's happening in engineering and you can take advantage of opportunities and creativity that the engineering has and bring them to the surface to, to innovate. Um, so I think those are, those are some of the like, uh, you know, history of manufacturing. We think that after the eighties, until the late eighties manufacturing went uh, and maybe a little bit into the nineties manufacturing went into a lot of revolution and improvements and amazing, uh, you know, push. And then suddenly, of course, they're improving, but those major shifts have slowed down and uh, you can see more of a shift and improvement in, in software and software best practices compared to the, to the manufacturing at the moment. A key difference uh, that I also can think of is uh, focus on consumer uh, uh, pain points, right? So I think uh, maybe 20 years ago, the focus was to actually build a category. For example, the idea was to first get out a car and then focus on how do you make a better car and what are the key consumer pain points that you would want to solve. And that's where sort of product managers come into picture and they uh, do research and understand uh, what sort of features are needed uh, to solve the consumer pain points. And I think hence engineering was primarily the decision-making party where they sort of were trying to build a category. Right? Mm -hmm. So once you build a category, then you sort of go deep and try to make uh, enhancements and ensure that the uh, innovation that happened actually is targeted to uh, uh, improve the customer experience overall. Exactly. That's, that's what uh, we mean is... Of course, engineering wanted to build something that is, uh, you know, in line with the market. But the question is, how do you do both? How do you focus on building the next thing and in the same time, constantly put your ear at the door and listen to what the customer needs? That's where the product management engineering collaboration becomes extremely, um, you know, valuable and making sure that, that that really happens. Uh, the other thing is that in the old days, the manufacturing is starting to shift again. It's starting to move again. And part of it is because of uh, things, uh, modern ways, for example, like Tesla, that's incorporating more and more software into their uh, products. In the old days, if you wanted to upgrade a car, you had to build another car. So people would stay with their cars two years, three years. If they wanted new features, they had to dump that car, get another car. Now with Tesla, little by little car is becoming like a laptop. It's becoming a platform. And if you want a new feature, they just download the feature on your car. That's unheard of. I mean, now it's becoming more and more, you know, what's the big deal kind of thing. But six years ago, this was a really big deal. And still a lot of manufacturers are trying to figure out how to do that in a safe way. So um, things are starting to change. We're at the cusp of it. But the question is now, how do you keep control? How do you keep it safe? How do you keep it in mind with the market and customer needs? And again, it begs 
the need for for more central role for product teams and product management in these uh, you know uh, industries. I think that's the fundamental that does not change, irrespective if it's a physical product or a digital product. Correct. Exactly. If we could uh, take a step back, uh, could you tell us um, how did you go about envisioning uh, Gorsias and then how did you zero in on the target uh, segment? Yeah, I think, uh, well, uh, I'm the co-founder of uh, Gorsias, actually the the founder, the main founder of Gorsias and, on, uh, and our main investor. Uh, this comes out of a sister company who, uh, uh, the, and this company was in automotive market research. And so our founder has a lot of experience in, in that industry. And uh, when they went and spoke to their customers, they saw this gap. And then uh, we met and we had a lot of conversations in 2017 about what he saw in the market and the, the gaps in product planning, product development, product management. Some of those gaps are being closed by uh, a class a classification of software called PLM or product lifecycle management software. Uh, but still that uh, leaves it and that's still too tactical, too detailed. Uh, there's very little software that looks at strategy overall and, and roadmaps. Um, so that's where we, we started. Um, I think 2018, we started with, with uh, analytics um, but then we, as we were talking to our potential customers, we realized that this need is there and we started pivoting to focus more and more on, on uh, strategy and incorporate analytics to it, but you know, shift the focus on, on painting the strategy and collaboration over the strategy uh, and, you know, more and more over time. And now we're excited this year, we're, we're kind of focusing, I think 80% of our resources on on that function and and that capability so uh, and we're uh, starting to release some exciting things that we're hoping uh doesn't just excite us but the whole whole industry um and so it's it's uh, it's an exciting year for us i guess you can say that um, um you you have i think you roughly have been in, in the industry for around 25 years right so i think a lot of people would uh, actually think about say uh, i have made probably if i have made enough money i'll go and think of a early retirement and here you are actually starting up and sort of uh, trying to solve a pain point and i think uh, with the ever changing technology right so what was the motivation and uh, what was your, what was your thought process of uh, uh, going and starting a company uh, so late uh, in your career? You know, I think everybody has different uh, aspirations and, and uh, I guess, reasons to wake up. And uh, I, I really like change. Uh, I, and I think it's, it's a bit bizarre because every time I hear, you know, people don't like change, but I'm like, uh, hey, change is exciting because it, uh, I don't like to do the same thing over and over again, I guess. And uh, so because of that, I always like to start new things. And I was very fortunate in Experian. We had to go through a lot of transitions and transformations to bring Experian to a point that uh, is, is you know, competitive and stays competitive and it, and it grows. And uh, I was fortunate to be in that time and work with amazing colleagues uh, you know, that I can look up to and that we work together very well. 
And we were to a large extent successful in pulling through that transition. I had a very small part, even though we were part of the leadership team, but there are quite a few of us and uh, we were able to pull through. And I took that experience and, you know, when I, uh, got together with our found, uh, main found, uh, uh, founder, Jake Schaffron, and we had these discussions. It resonated so much for me. I said, you know, I have this passion for manufacturing. I really think manufacturing is, is what uh, is the foundation of, of value in the world, and it needs to continuously evolve, and it shouldn't slow down. And I have background in it. And in the same time, I have all these experiences that I've built over the past few years, this is an exciting venture. And yes, you know, I, you risk a lot. You have a, you know, very comfortable job and all the hard days are over. You, the trans, transformation, you're coming out of it and, and you can just now relax and, you, you know, sleep eight hours a night. But uh, then after a few months, it becomes boring, right? So <laughs> you got to go, go back in the game. And I, and I like that. So it was a good challenge for me to, to get in and, and try something new. I think I think uh, for our listeners, uh, uh, I personally sort of uh, feel like you would be an inspiration to a lot of folks who have just uh, kept thinking and procrastinating, thinking, hey, uh, I think startups are for young folks and uh, I am done and I'm comfortable with my life. I think to people who have been thinking about, hey, I want to try something new and startup, I think. Yeah, thank uh, you so much. Uh, is there anything else that you would like to add? I think you guys, uh, you guys were covered this very well. And I, frankly, I really enjoyed this this conversation, uh, especially that you know, uh, again, in the past three four years uh, before uh, we started Gocious, our focus obviously was software and data analytics in Experian, um, and uh, I, I also ran IT teams prior to that for uh, for various functions. Uh, so I, you know. This was a conversation that was was very comfortable for me, and and I really enjoyed uh, this. I'm I'm happy. I hope that your audience uh, would find this interesting, uh, both uh, to to kind of see what Gosh's is doing and see if this issue is prevailing in their uh, industry. Uh, we always love to hear from this community, and and if there is any uh, capabilities that uh, we can bring to the market, and also as you said. Uh, I would be honored if, if it's been an inspiration for others to, to kind of try new things. It is risky. Um, you, you will have ups and downs, but uh, if you're constantly pursuing, uh, I think eventually you're going to land somewhere okay. You, you know, uh, it's, you, you might, not everybody would make it super rich, but you're going to be fine and you're going to look back and see that you had an exciting life. So I think that's what, you know, motivates me at least. I think uh, the, the problem statement is clear and it's something that I have experienced uh, it across in various companies, uh, be it a software company which works closely with the hardware or uh, even pure software companies. So um, I hope, uh, you know, uh, probably a year down the line, you start looking at software also as one of your target segment. Uh, all the best. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. So hopefully you actually uh, also uh, get to reach out to a lot of digital product managers who probably would be uh, a right fit for your team as well. So in yes. in case you're looking and uh, you would want us to give us a shout out and we want to share that in our circle and our listeners as well, we would be happy to do that as well. Thank you so much.
uh, we have a LinkedIn Gosha site also. Uh, those to me are, are, you know, if you can do that, that, that would be even better. So. so listeners, if you're working on a complex product where multiple systems need to come together, you could consider looking into Gosha's. We will leave the contact details in the show description. If you like this podcast, then do share it. And you can reach out to us at productmanagement0100 at gmail.com or you can find us on Twitter at pm underscore journey. Thank you very much.